Welcome to We Fish ASA, the best darn fishing show on the radio or the internet in the entire USA. My name is Steve Sarley. Dave Kranz is my partner. We Fish ASA is always pleased to offer you a conversation with the most interesting, the most informative, the most entertaining, as well as some of the biggest names in the world of fishing. We Fish ASA is brought to you by the proud industry members of the American Sport Fishing Association, especially St. Croix, the best reds on earth. Calcutta, makers of a lot of products that fit your fishing lifestyle and passion, and Daiwa. Daiwa Reels says it all. The best there are. Every price point, every quality level. Make sure you get out there and check out the lineup of Daiwa Reels. We Fish ASA presents a new episode of our one-hour podcast each and every week. It's available 24-7 everywhere you get your podcasts. And don't forget our website, wefishasa.com. You can always listen there. We Fish ASA is recorded at two separate studios in Northern Illinois. I'm at one, Dave's at the other. We ship the audio down to our executive producer, Brad Nearman from Berserk Productions down in Lando Lakes, Florida. Hey, Brad, thanks for everything you do. On today's show, we welcome our regular guest, Mr. Dan Johnston from St. Croix. Wonder what they'll talk about today. Then we're going to have a little visit with Kevin Brannon. He runs something called Real Guppy Outdoors. Listen to Kevin Brannon, everything great he's doing for the future of fishing with children. And I'm going to visit with the Angler of the Year, Bassmaster Angler of the Year. This guy is a hot stick. Yeah, definitely fits that description. He is from Minnesota. He is Seth Fighter. But first, let me swing it over to my partner, Dave Kranz, who will bring out Dan Johnston. Take it away, David. As Steve said, I am Dave Kranz. This is the We Fish ASA podcast, and this segment is brought to you by St. Croix, the best rods on earth. And I'd like to welcome back Dan Johnston. How you doing, Dan? Good, Dave. Excellent. It's uh, Boy, it's August already. We blinked, and it's summer, and it's hot, and these lakes and impoundments are getting, uh, the ones that have weeds are getting weed-choked. Uh great time to talk about slop fishing well it is it's it's really i mean i'm not going to say it's where they all go but it's certainly a place we want to look i mean when you when you're talking about slop you know defined as stuff that you can physically see you know whether it's in the back of coves or bays or a lot of times like lily pad bays that you'll fish in the spring turn into this stuff this time of year and and there's if you get if you get you know we can talk about what makes certain areas like this good and versus what's not good because i think that's you know with regard to equipment to go after them in slop i would say the right type of it is just as important because you can fish oceans of it and not catch them if you don't know what you're looking for absolutely and you got to use the heavy stuff and, and many uh states have uh tournaments that are slop or frog only tournaments and and they do those in august and i i think they're good and and i've always said that if you want to learn a technique and you're going to go down to your favorite pond or river or whatever you're doing take only that rod and don't take any other tackle with you and throw that and and i think that would apply to this uh slop fishing let's go ahead and talk a little bit about the you know the line the reel the rod that we use for that uh the slop fishing yeah, it's a braid deal, Dave. I mean, we don't tie fluorocarbon leaders to this either. I mean, this is combat, and you you need no stretch. You need line that casts a long ways, and uh, you know, and you need, need line that cuts vegetation. You need those three things, and no less than forty pound. A lot of us throw fifty, um, 
but so that's on the line side um and then on the rod side you want something heavy for sure nothing less than a heavy power and a lot of us are using fast action um you need to win that first two seconds when you set the hook or they're going to get you down in that stuff and you'll get two pounds of it back and no fish on the end and it happens if you go in under gun and the next thing i would say is rod length you don't want to go into this with anything under seven foot and i would i would argue and again this is just my opinion but i i would i wouldn't do it with anything less than seven four uh and primarily because again some of the bites come out of ways and you want to pick up slack and you need leverage and that longer rod's going to give you both yes and i i actually use seven fours i've got the uh the seven four victory rod and the seven four tournament rod and they're both excellent for that technique as well as several others but the uh uh yeah the the braid is is very important and uh when it, like you've always said when in that battle in those first couple of seconds if you don't and they get down underneath that the the best thing to do is get their heads up get them on top of that pads or slop or combination of those and uh and get them coming to the boat i like what you said about the pad fields turning into some of your good slop areas i and i like those too and, and maybe uh uh explain how that that can actually be better because the pads help create even less of the cover on top in places i i, I think that's why we both like it yeah, bluegills stay in it for one. You'll hear them popping around it in there also. To your point, though, they create little openings and pockets of just a plant with open water underneath it. So they give great shade, but they're tremendous ambush points. If you think about the little gap between a pad leaf and duckweed, duckweed and slop, there's a seam there and, and fish will use that. And, you know, so I think that's uh, that's important. And I, another thing I was also going to say, just general slop fishing is the water underneath it is as important as this what you visually see. I mean, you can go and find miles and miles of this stuff in rivers right now and certainly on lakes too, but the, the type that's really good normally has what we call healthy water under it. Either, believe it or not, it can be water that's barely moving, but certainly not something that's just chocolate milk and stagnant with dying weeds on it. And a lot of times it can all look the same on the surface, but it's completely different. So, you know, we'll, we'll go into this stuff and actually sweep it away, look down into it, look along the edges. And if you find healthy water in it, boy, it can be the deal, especially if there's other parts that's not that way. Excellent advice. And, and I'll tell you, one of the things that has helped me, especially on river systems, to find the, the healthy water to places that I start is in the mouth of where there's a water flow coming in, a creek that's coming into a river or a lake. Many times that's a harder bottom and you've got current flow and it is that what you called healthy water. And that, that'll save you a lot of time of looking at many of the miles because many of the places that I have found them, the, the mouths of creeks has been a key, key place. Well, no question. That's really the number one thing we look for. And, and again, it's finding that fresh, healthy water. It's going to draw the bait and it's going to draw the predator fish. And they'll stay there late, late to late in the summer and even into the fall. That bite goes. And one other thing I want to make sure we brought up, and this is something that you'll notice when you fish with somebody that's fished a lot of slop, is always, and the, for the listener out there, Definitely don't forget this one. Always have a rod rigged up to go into a hole if something blows you up and misses it. And more times than not. And it's got to be something Texas rigged that's pegged and the hook is 
I'd say text posed aggressively where it's even the points under the plastic. You can't get it gobbed up. You don't want something with a lot of appendages on it, but you want something that gets through that hole. Because if it does, I can't tell you how many times they'll dump that thing and you'll catch that fish that you missed. So have it right there on the deck ready to go and it'll pay big dividends for you. That's great advice. And that's also something you can do in the same type of water. And you can punch this and have that rig if the slop presents itself that it has pockets and holes in it already. But I love the advice of going after an active fish that many times will miss the frog because of the thickness of the of the slop and the mat that's on top of it. But it creates a hole that doesn't stay there sometimes very long. But if you can uh, pitch or punch into that hole, uh, boy, I, I think it's probably like a 7 out of 10 deal, isn't it? You know, the reason I bring it up is because sometimes they just don't hit a frog twice in a row. Why? I have no idea. Same thing as a big buzz bait in the fall on a bank, uh, down, you know, in Shad Lakes. They just, we call them one and doneers. They'll blow up on that thing and you do not see them again. Why? I have no idea. But there's certain times frog fishing where they will hit it again, especially if you let it sit and just soak it and really get them wondering what the heck's up there but there's times dave they just won't and those are the days you want to follow it up with something because more times than not they're right there and they'll hit that bait if you drop it down in yes they will and i, I think take it another step I, I also have something rigged up like that a weightless senko or a flick shake or something like that when i fish just open top water and they miss it because sometimes some of those fish don't come back again but if you throw something in that circle as the uh, the waves are going away and you you will catch many of those uh, let's describe uh, punching a little bit because that's some of the same type of equipment same heaviness braid longer rods uh, isn't it it's the same scenario it's just a different presentation and we want to be rigged up for both especially if you have areas where you have a clean water underneath a, a mat and you know punching is 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 uh just as important on the uh, equipment side i would personally say that you want even a little longer rod yet it's more of a sweep set it's not a long cast at all it's either a flip or a pitch pretty short you definitely don't want a lot of angle in your line ever when you're doing this and then secondly you'll want to uh peg your weight for sure you want to use tungsten probably minimum three-quarter ounce i've used it all the way up to ounce and a half and then you'll want to use a hundred percent braid on this um, it was ironic just the other day, I actually, believe it or not, for one of the few times in my life, I did a fluorocarbon leader because it was gin clear water and they were super tough. And I went to that. Maybe it was in my head, but I got a few more bites with it. But you'll want to use a, um, a real stout super line hook. And in, in some cases, in my opinion, that's a straight shank flipping hook that snelled. But I just had a discussion with a couple of elite pros the other day that don't snell that knot. So I'm going to do a little research on my own there, too. But again, equipment's king, and we want to make sure we've set up right or we just simply won't get them out. And uh, do you like the snell knot to help hold the bait to the to the hook, or what? what's your preference there? Why? Well, the snelled knot, if you tie a snell correctly and start with the line going in where the hook point side of the eye is and you mm -hmm. tie a correct snell, when you push on the pull on that line, the hook will cam up. And I, I like that. I, I just always had a lot of confidence. I used the VMC flipping hook and I have a very high percentage to bite to get them in the boat rate. And that's all I care about. So it's worked for me for years, but I was just speaking with actually Bob Downey the other day, we were up here doing some rock testing and he does not snell it and i respect that man as much as i respect anybody on the water so he's got me thinking about some other things that i might try going forward but 
you know, we're all using braid, we're all using heavy rods, and we all want to use things that, again, don't have a lot of appendages. I love the Zoom Z-Craw. I love the Rojas Fighting Frog. Things that get down. You don't want things that'll hang up. You want a missile. You want it going in, coming out effortlessly. That's the key. Always, always good information, great information, and always enjoy having you on the podcast, Dan. I can't believe that we're already in August, and uh, uh, you know, soon we'll be talking about fall and ice and everything else. This year has absolutely flown by, but uh, as our time does when we do this podcast, once again, I'd like to thank you for being on the We Fish ASA podcast. Yeah, thanks, Dave. Always my pleasure. Oh, that's great. Great information from Dan Johnston. Uh, this is the We Fish ASA podcast, and this segment is brought to you by St. Croix, the best rods on earth. I am Dave Cran. Steve Sarley is remote. We will be right back. Rule your water. Rule it with a St. Croix rod. Whether you take to the lake, wade the rivers, or cast from shore, St. Croix provides responsive performance, ensuring your success below every surface. With a St. Croix rod in hand, you're a part of a celebrated tradition that has spanned 70 years. Touch, power, and control are right at your fingertips and extend to you the finest fishing experience on the planet. St. Croix, the best rods on earth. The outdoors is more than just a profession for us here at Big Rock Sports. As avid anglers, hunters, and outdoor enthusiasts, it's our passion. So advocating on behalf of the outdoor sporting goods industry is a top priority for us. Big Rock Sports is proud to serve as the voice and advocate of outdoor sporting goods retailers across the nation. Big Rock Sports works tirelessly to protect our fisheries and anglers' rights. Big Rock Sports, we are here for you. I'm professional angler Kevin Van Dam, and people always ask me, what's the best and easiest way to catch fish? Well, that's simple keep our waterways clean and free of litter. You know, tossing your worn out lures in the lake is not a winning move. Pitch them in the trash. Do your part and join me. Visit KeepAmericaFishing.org and pledge to pitch it. Welcome back to the We Fish ASA podcast. I am Dave Cran. Steve Starley is remote and this segment is brought to you by Calcutta, an outdoor company that builds gear and apparel for those with a passion for the outdoors. I always like to say the guests I have on this segment have a passion for outdoors, for the outdoors, and my, my next guest certainly does. His name is Kevin Brannon. He is the founder and president of RealGuppyOutdoors.com. Welcome to the program, Kevin. Thank you, sir. I was When you when you were making that intro about passion, I, I just couldn't wait to jump in about uh, our passion. So sounds like we're on the same page, my friend. <laughs> we, we are, and the uh, the sponsor of this segment has that kind of passion for the, for our industry. And uh, tell us a little bit of, about yourself and what you're doing out there in California. So uh, we started a nonprofit about four years back called Real Guppy Outdoors. But before that, we were doing Real Anglers Kids Fishing Days locally here in my community in Southern California. I'm, I'm in the Channel Islands area of, um, of California and Southern California. But I started working on fishing boats when I was about uh, nine years old as a pinhead, and I had a passion for teaching and a passion for fishing, man, like nothing else. You know, that was where you'd always find me on the pier fishing and sneaking down onto the sport boat areas where I couldn't fish until they finally gave me a job. And, uh, <laughs> and then, uh, so I, I learned how to teach people how to fish early on, exposing them to the Channel Islands and how to catch a memory for the first time. Uh, so I worked on boats for about 11 years, took a little break for a little while, um, came back to the fishing industry and, 
um, I wanted to, to make my own television show called Rural Angler Fishing Show. But again, I wanted to show about the passion of catching your first memory, the passion of getting out and getting out um, with your family, engagement, um, the California backdrop. I like to do documentary uh, style film. So I started Rural English Fishing Show. And then with that platform and my connections in the fishing industry, I was able to give the kids in my area something positive to do, which was the Rural Real Anglers Kids Fishing Days we do once in a while. It started taking off. We started working with uh, other organizations, foster kids, because I grew up in that system, and uh, just kept flourishing and getting bigger and bigger to where we now do a kid fishing day for the public once a month on the fourth Sunday, but we also partner with other organizations that are locally that have at-risk teens or low-income families like I came from, and they get their own days. And we've taken over about 3,200 kids out fishing. We just did a workbook that has us uh, in some of the elementary schools here locally. We're actually teaching kids how to fish in elementary schools, which is great. And it just continues to keep growing. But I, that passion of teaching and educating and showing people how to fish, man, I, I get to do that. So it's, it's amazing. Yeah, I, I love the concept. I love what you're doing out there. It's kids and families. I like to catch a memory. That's 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 very important. Uh, and and I like that it's it, it's covering so many bases: recreation, education, adventure, the conservation end of things. Everything that you're doing is so important because you can teach them how to fish, but you you also have to let them to evolve to become a sportsman. Exactly, man. And just also. So the book that we made, uh, Catch a Memory, that got me into the schools, I put a picture in there of a maze. I tell the kids, like, I, I coached um, my son's Little League team. I was in Cub Scouts as a team leader for a, a little while, but I was, I guess I was doing R&D, like research and development, on how to keep attention span of a kid. Because <laughs> you can keep a kid's attention span, you can keep anybody's attention span. But I also get a chance to tell them the logo from my TV show is a worm catching the fish. So I get to tell kids anything is possible because that's my logo for the TV show, Row Anglers. So I get to tell these kids also, whatever, like life and fishing marry each other. There's a way where you have to overcome obstacles or problem solving. That's what fishing is about. So I get to teach those things along the way. Kind of, I use what quotes, uh, luring them in, but then also teaching them about life lessons through education and fishing. So it's pretty cool. Yeah, and you've got great, great backing and sponsors uh, out there and across the country. Many of them are, are national uh, organizations that are supporting you and, and this effort. Um, any of them that you would like to like to mention? And also, uh, how if there's others that want to uh, help with this endeavor, uh, what can they do? Yeah, so you can check out our website, Rolanger's Fishing Show. I'm sorry, uh, well, that one too, of course, but also Real Guppy Outdoors. Uh, you can send me an email. We can check us out on Facebook if you have any questions or inquiries. But, you know, I, I met RBFF, Recreation and Boating and Fishing Foundation, at ICAST when they came to Vegas. I drove out there, and I met them, and I was just kind of, again, um, nourishing those relationships, right? So I'm telling what I do until one day they said, hey, we, once we were a nonprofit, we had this grant called the FAMO uh, Episcar grant that you, mm -hmm. should, you should go for. So we, that was our first grant that we got. They've been supporting us. We share content because California – is nestled away. You know, if you go towards the East Coast and in the South, a lot more of the fishery is is happening. Once you get past Texas, Nevada, Arizona, and California, it's not as big as it is in those other states. So it, we're, we're able to bring, um, highlight what happens in California to them without bringing all their resources to California. So it's a really, really good partnership. IGFA, International Game Fish Association, they send us some kits so we could do International Kid Days and they help us get exposure. We give them numbers and content. The Department of Fish and Wildlife here in California has been phenomenal. So um, just, you know, what we do with the, like, I get the thing, uh, the word from them is passion as well. Like, you just have this passion, Kevin. So they, 
the partnerships work really well. And then here locally, I live in a port city, Port Wyneme, California. So the port helps us, some local banks, plenty of rotaries and, and Lions clubs and doing booster clubs to help us get it going. Because the cool thing about our program, man, is it's free. We don't charge your kids for anything. We, we provide everything, top to bottom, lunches, fishing gear, uh, everything, you know, um, I'm the only staff member. I do about 15 hours a week of staffing. Um, well, there's a lot more to it, but you know, that that's mm-hmm. about what the salary pays. But again, it's for the paycheck. It's for the passion, not the paycheck. So, um, those partners that help and able to give us some of those resources of what really helps us out. So we use the term community, uh, helping community to serve the community. And that's how we've been growing. So, uh, doing this all these years. And how many years have you been doing this? You said over 3000, uh, kids have gone. So through. We started about nine years ago. Okay. I think, you know, Facebook gives you these memories to remind you of what you did, like, on this day, how many years ago. So we started out just doing them randomly about nine years ago on the Pro Enemy Pier, and it was uh, the Real Anglers Kids Fishing Day, and we went nonprofit four years ago. So over the course of about um, nine years, and that's, you know, with COVID in, in the last year, we were getting up to about 150 kids per day, per open kid day that we were doing monthly up until last February when, when everything got shut down. But last year would have been definitely a record setting pace of us going over a thousand kids a year. So um, as it was gaining momentum, but we were able to build our workbooks and more infrastructure and getting into the educational program. So we were able to use that downtime as ways to still expand the program without actually getting onto the water. We were still able to teach and educate through zoom classrooms and, and field trips. So um, that, that's what we were able to do that last year. Yeah, there's always a way. And what age uh, children are you uh, educating for the fishing world? So we say we, don't, we do not age out. You know, it's a family engagement. It's not a drop-off program. So you can't just show up and leave your kids with us for three hours while we go out and teach them how to fish. We want to teach this to parents so that they can make this their tradition. So we've had kids fishing out of strollers. The dad had a kid in that little, like, the little kangaroo pouch on his chest. And the kid's holding <laughs> a push button. Kid caster. We had a two-year-old that was on the uh, mom was taking a knee. And she was Skyping grandpa in Alaska, you know, with the FaceTime while their little girl was fishing on the, the little girl was fishing on the pier. So it all went up to 19, 20 years old because of some of the programs that we work with sure. with the foster care system have older youth that we take out. So it's, it's any age. And I hate to use the word no. So whoever we can serve in, come on out. There you go. Now, some of these older ones, if they started eight, nine years ago, are they some of your volunteers that are coming back to help? Yep. Some of them are volunteers. Some of them are fishing. Um, as when I was first doing it, we weren't really doing like keeping track, right? Just doing, just serving. But as you work with your partners, some of the things is, Hey, how many kids are coming back? How many kids are repeating? So we're doing a better job at, of, uh, of calculating these numbers, but we have a lot of kids that return to come back to help volunteer. They get into the high school. Some, some kids are in high school fishing programs now that weren't here originally that we partner with to help them start a fishing program. Those kids are coming out to volunteer. So yeah, man, it's, Again, because since we've created it from the ground up, we're, we're, we go through levels of scale of what we can handle and what we're learning and what more we can do, you know? Yeah, yeah. Now, I'm sure that there's probably, a, you're, you're probably a model of how to do this. Is there any thought of uh, expansion to other states with this or making it available to where people can get, get help from you to do something like this in a place that it doesn't have it? Absolutely, man. That's what's a good thing about us being at ICAST was to get that that next level. You know, people from Florida, Texas, Georgia coming by and get picking up our books and again modeling it here. Like I was just reading a book about practice, right? So we've been practicing here locally, and now that we went to ICAST, that was to get that next level. You know, to start getting it bigger, but making sure that we have what we can handle under control before we go to that next level. And I I believe now 
with doing the classrooms here locally and getting that practice that we could just kind of copy and paste that at a national scale, but still want to keep the reins on it where we're kind of still doing it all from California before we let, you know, people open a chapter or something to see what that looks like. But definitely we can go from coast to coast, especially now that all these kids understand how to use these learning devices since they were, they were, you know, using these for school. It's even probably, it's even, it's easier now than ever than to, to get national exposure from where we're at, you know? Oh, absolutely. And with the Recreational Boating Fishing Foundation, I'm very familiar with them. I've sat on a a couple of their committees uh, in the industry as well as the American Sport Fishing Association. So they do a great job. And for them to uh, offer for you to apply for for grants that are available, there's, uh, you know, our industry is doing quite well right now. And I think it's doing well because people do have a passion to be in it and they do want to, it's not something we want to keep to ourselves. We want we want everybody to experience what we what we get out of the outdoors, and 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 it's such a good, healthy thing to do. And uh, especially in these times of COVID, what's more uh, uh, social distant than than uh, fishing and and being outside? Hundred percent, man. And and I, I kind of bodybuild a little bit. You know, I'm a personal trainer, so I understand that. Well, I was a personal trainer. It's the same model, man. As far as people that want to get in shape but don't have the education on how to get the results that they want. It's very similar to kind of fishing. If we can explain to Mrs. Jones why she might need protein and explain to her why she needs to weight train and do exercises to reach her goal, it's kind of similar with fishing, introducing a family, educating them on hooks and setups and combos and the same type of thing without coming from a, I'm a pro bass fisherman or, you know, you need this big fancy yacht, you know, to, to, to achieve your goals or, you know, you know what I'm saying? So I use a very similar approach on how to inform um, new fishermen and families to get started. Cause if a dad can't tie a hook, they're going to find something else to do. Let's go to the Dodger game. Let's go to, to magic mountain. And you know, you're kind of, um, entertained by the entertainment. You're not really engaging, but if you could teach them how to fish, teach dad and mom how to fish, rekindle that from their childhood experiences to get them started again, that's how they're going to stay within the fishing industry and continue to do this. But if it's foreign to them and they don't know where to get the help, I think they're going to find something else. But since everything was kind of shut down, through uh, COVID, it made them want to get back out, slow down, and start this up, and then we just happen to be here to help, man. Yeah, it's awesome. You're teaching them to be successful at at the uh, fishing game, and you're also uh, letting them experience recreation, the education, uh, the conservation, you know, all very important things, and and I I love the catch of memory. I think that's something that's important, and uh, uh, we'll definitely uh, stay up and follow what your uh, progress is with this, and uh, and if somebody wants to uh, take advantage, they can go to realguppyoutdoors.com and find out more information about signing up for one of these events or participating or volunteering or donating, whatever they would like to do, correct? Absolutely, man. And yeah, just you just touched on it. Man. That's a big part of the, the catching the memories. I'm so nerdy at this, you know, like Steve Irwin. <laughs> I just love the teaching part, man, and, and just the sea lions and the islands and the deer on the lake or whatever we could do to experience that whole day, you know, not just catching a trophy. Let's experience that memory and that time and, and memories as a family. And, I, and I'm glad I'm able to, you know, to bring that out and, and watch people start to do this, man. It, it, I love it, man. Awesome. I appreciate you coming on the program. I'm sure it won't be the last time we talk to you. Thanks, Kevin. My pleasure. Anytime. That was Kevin Brannon, founder and president of RealGuppyOutdoors.com. I am Dave Cran. Steve Sarley is remote, and this segment was brought to you by Calcutta, an outdoor company that builds gear and apparel for those with a passion for the outdoors. The We Fish ASA podcast will be right back.
The outdoors is more than just a profession for us here at Big Rock Sports. As avid anglers, hunters, and outdoor enthusiasts, it's our passion. So advocating on behalf of the outdoor sporting goods industry is a top priority for us. Big Rock Sports is proud to serve as the voice and advocate of outdoor sporting goods retailers across the nation. Big Rock Sports works tirelessly to protect our fisheries and anglers' rights. Big Rock Sports, we are here for you. Calcutta, we're an outdoor coastal trading company that builds gear and apparel for those with a passion for the outdoors. Born in the back of a Florida bait and tackle shop, Calcutta was created with a rebellious spirit and a goal to offer hardworking outdoor products at a reasonable price. Calcutta builds the products that fit your lifestyle. We're on a mission to help you reclaim your free time and to declare mutiny on the mundane. Depend on Calcutta gear and apparel. Bass anglers have heard it all when it comes to manufacturers having the best casting rail. Well, Daiwa can back it up with the Tatula SV. The Tatula SV has three key features that make it the most versatile casting reel on the market today. The SV spool is a lightweight aluminum spool allowing for long control light lure casting. MAG4Z gives you the option to set a precise casting range no matter what lure or wind situation. The Daiwa T-Wing system reduces line angle and friction when casting. Distance, control, and finesse like no other reel on the market. Tatula, the ultimate finesse long cast system designed by Daiwa. Welcome back to We Fish ASA. I'm Steve Sarley. My partner Dave Kranz is remote. We Fish ASA is brought to you by the proud industry members of the American Sport Fishing Association. Please help to ensure the future of fishing by visiting keepamericafishing.org. You know, if you're an industry professional, please consider joining the American Sport Fishing Association by visiting asafishing.org. We got a true champion as our guest today. I, I can take the whole segment of time by introducing him and everything he has done. Let's just bring him on. 2021 Bassmaster Angler of the Year, Mr. Seth Fighter. Hey man, how you doing? Doing good. Thanks for having me on, boys. Hey, not, not a problem at all. Not a problem at all, Seth. Uh, I uh, can't imagine in the short amount of time that you have been fishing, what an impact you have made. And I shouldn't say short amount of time you've been fishing. I'm talking about fishing professionally in the Bassmaster circuit. It's been a whirlwind, hasn't it? Yeah, I think this was my, well, 2015 was my rookie year. So I've been doing this, what, six years now? Um First couple of years, real rough, and then kind of had a breakthrough moment at lacrosse and uh, Malax, and everything's been kind of a lot better since. Uh, it, it, do you hear any talk about them naming the uh, Angler of the Year trophy the Seth Fighter Award? I don't think that's going to happen, but uh, no, it's not. It's an honor to win it. It's something that's really really hard to do and something i have for you know the rest of my life hard to do man oh man you make it look easy for pete's sake uh you know it, it it's uh there you, there are people who win a trophy uh win a tournament who, who who you never hear of again uh and i'm not discounting that winning winning a tournament you know i, I don't want to discount the importance or the difficulty of that but a lot of people win them, and then all of a sudden, people who win more than one 
that drops off, and there's hardly many, uh, hardly uh, any multiple winners. Um, and then when you find Angler of the Year, which I consider personally the the most challenging thing, because you have to be consistent throughout a whole season. You, you really, you really uh, do poorly in one, and you're out for the year. So that that's very, very tough. Uh, Angler of the Year is a uh, is a sign that somebody's at the top of their game, and it's over a whole season from beginning to end. Winning more than one Angler of the Year, I, I consider to be virtually impossible. Uh, yeah. What do you feel about that? How, how does that sit with you to, to think that you've done something miraculous? Yeah, no, it was amazing. I mean, whole year went really smooth. It just felt kind of meant to be when it was all said and done. I, you know, got my bites when I needed them. I didn't lose fish when I needed them. The few I did lose were, you know, ones that didn't end up making that much of a difference in the grand scheme of things. And, um, yeah, winning angler of the year, it's probably the hardest thing to do if you think about it. Just uh-huh. One tournament, a guy can get on, you know, some good stuff and catch them three, four days and win. But anchor of the year, that's you know nine, ten events, and you got to catch them every single time. It's 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 a challenge, no doubt about it. You, you're you're a laid back guy, uh, you know, and uh, in all honesty, when when I I watch a lot of professional fishing, and and everybody is really good in front of the camera and. You guys say the right thing, you know. Uh, oh yeah, so and so deserved to win. I'm happy he had a great day. Uh, I, I don't know if I believe all of that, but you guys hold your tempers in check. Uh, you you real you really do. Uh, you know, you come off as being really nice and polite. Do you ever get mad? Uh, yeah, not so much at people, usually at the fish, but uh, <laughs> especially at smallmouth, they drive me nuts. Uh, if, you if, can't drop those things. Like you find them one day, and the next day they're gone. I just I get mad at smallmouth probably more than anything. Well, if one of you mentioned smallmouth, because I'm asking about getting mad, I want to know if you get mad when people say, and in particular people in the fishing media or people that should know better say, "Oh yeah, that's a fighter. Uh, lucky they go north because uh, that guy's a really good smallmouth angler. You know, that's what that's his uh, forte is smallmouth." He's not that good at largemouth, but man, he's tough on smallmouth water. That doesn't make your blood boil. Uh, no, I just think. I mean, looking from the outside, I understand why they say that. I mean, the couple of tournaments I've won, I've been smallmouth fisheries, and I'm from Minnesota, which everyone thinks is like all smallmouth. But I, I grew up in southern Minnesota. We pretty much are all largemouth lakes down there. I, I, I mean, I pretty much got to drive three hours from my house to get into any sort of decent smallmouth fishing. You know, you, know, you got to get up to like Mille Lacs or north of that to, you know, get into true smallmouth country. Most of the lakes I grew up fishing are just, you know, small natural lakes that are full of grass and pretty much all largemouth fishing. So that, that's really, in my opinion, my strong suit. It took a little while to get it to translate to southern largemouths because they're a bit different but it seemed like every year i go down fish a handful of tournaments down south i get a little more comfortable down there and a little a little more confident you've done well hey texas likes you if i if i remember correctly you do pretty well when you head uh, as far south as you can go yeah no i i've had i've had some good tournaments down there this year and like i said each year i get a little better down there it's definitely different fishing than what i'm used to but 
Yeah, I, I, I cut my teeth large mouth fishing. Well, I mean, we, obviously, they're normally large mouths, and you know, it really only translates to like Lake Champlain or Cayuga or something like that for our events. But uh, you know, that that's the kind of fishing I grew up doing. We've seen some. Uh, we've seen some turn. You know, uh, and it's tournament by tournament it has to do with the water, it has to do with the fish fish population. Uh, but but obviously, there are some tournaments that are. Uh, all largemouth. There are some that are uh, all smallmouth. Yeah, I just recently uh, I had one that's not not coming to my memory right away. But uh, everything that got weighed in were smallies. Uh, you know, if you're a largemouth fisherman, primarily, you know, you grew up you you grew up fishing Alabama. You know, you you really got to learn on the fly. Like you had to learn, uh, like uh, a lot of guys from up north, far up north, our Canadian friends had to learn largemouth fishing. Um, it, it gets to be a whole new education. But what, when you approach a, a body of water where it is populated by both largemouth and smallmouth, what do you do? Because largemouth are obviously uh, prone to be bigger fish than smallmouth. And if you can weigh in a, a, a bag limit of largemouth, it's probably going to be a bigger bag limit than if you weigh in all smallmouth. Uh, do you go to your strength and... and uh, Look to fill the box with smallies, or do you look for the bigger largemouth? Um, I like I like to mix it up. I mean, when you talk about a lake like that, Champlain's kind of the one that comes to mind, where you know it's got a really good smallmouth population, but you know a four pounder is a real big one and doesn't quite have the population of largemouths. But you know, there's some five six pound fish in it, and in those scenarios, I, I like to do both. You know, it's nice to you know, get on some smallies and get you a decent bag, you know, somewhere in that 16 to 18 pound range and then, uh, then grab a jig and go flipping for largemouths and try to get, you know, one or two of those great big, uh, you know, four plus pound largemouths. And that's, that's really my favorite style of fish. And I, I like mixing it up, especially on a lake like that where you can be both so close to each other. You know, it's not like one end of the lake has a smallmouth and the other end has a largemouth there. You know, you could, you could fish up, you know, a hump out in the middle and drive 200 yards toward shore and catch large mouse. It's just, I like to mix it up a lot on those lakes. I got a question for you, and, and I, I, I realize this, but do you ever hit on a spot and end up catching a largemouth and a smallmouth from the same spot and scratch your head and go, why is this happening? Yeah, sometimes I've seen that on, uh, on Champlain. Usually it's a smallmouth in a largemouth spot more than a largemouth on a smallmouth spot, but I, I talked to a couple of guys at Champlain that were, you know, they're up in St. Lawrence, they're up job shot not deep and ended up catching a nice bonus largemouth and that stuff happens and that's, you know, that's the cool part about fishing lakes where they mix it up, you know. Okay. You never really know what you're going to get. And where, where you are at the time of year and who, which kind is eaten makes a big difference as opposed to your bait and your technique. But let me ask you, have you ever seen a difference or could you say that smallmouth prefer a color over largemouth, or largemouth prefer a color over smallmouth? I would say I've seen smallmouths be more picky over color than largemouths. And that might just be because I don't throw that many different colors for a largemouth, so I keep it pretty simple, you know, some form of green pumpkin and some form of black, you know. Oh, you you just gave away... You just gave away a big it. secret, dude. No, nobody ever threw green pumpkin for largemouth before. 
Oh yeah, no, that's probably <laughs> the best color. You know? And then Vermont's got a lot of varieties, you know. That's where a lot of green pumpkin, a lot of melon, smoke, and then a lot of bread yeah. and ashes stuff too. Chartreuse, orange, pink, white, stuff like that. But are we talking largemouth? You just no, smallmouth. Small. I, I, I think that okay. would be a little pickier on color than largemouth, but that might just be because I don't, I don't. Well, I don't you, throw that much different stuff at the large mouth, I guess. No, you what well, you, you would you would know, and and that is uh, that is good stuff. Bring it in the third, and, and there are I can't. Are there any uh, locations that you guys fish where uh, spotted bass are, are a primary target? Uh, yeah, we've had some tournaments on Lanier and then Hartwell. They play a lot. Um, we fished a couple other. Like Lake Chattooga, that was all small, uh, pretty well all spotted bass. Are they different um, in the way they bite? Yeah, they're they're. I'd say they're more like a smallmouth than they are largemouth. They tend to suspend a lot and spend the majority of their life fairly deep. Um, and they're definitely they're a lot like a smallmouth where they'll they'll disappear on you hard. They tend to kind of. Chase, uh, you know, all the lakes that we fish that have them have the blueback herring in them, and they, they're yeah. pretty keyed in. I'm just following those around. So, wherever the herring decide to go, the spots follow them. And um, that's another reason I like largemouth more, just their forage. You know, they're mostly eating crawfish and bluegills and stuff that isn't really migrant. You know, you can kind of get in an area that has them, and they're probably going to be there for a while, versus, you know, a lot of those. Smallmouth lakes and spotted bass lakes, we go there chasing some form of bait fish that's pretty, uh, that tends to move a lot. And I think that's kind of why they move a lot too, just because their food source is on, on, the, on the move and they're going with them. Excellent. Excellent. Let's, uh, it's a good time to take a quick break. Uh, we'll let our sponsors have it. When we come back, I want to talk to you about uh, your sponsors. There's a number of them I, I want you to talk about. Um, I'm Steve Starley. This is We Fish ASA. We're on with Angler of the Year, Seth Fighter, who I'm going to tell you is about the most popular guy in the water right now. He, he's got the fishing world in the palm of his hand. And uh, we'll be right back with more Seth Fighter, Angler of the Year, when Steve Starley comes back with more We Fish ASA. For most anglers, the unexpected is expected but what you can do is take matters into the seat of your well shorts meet aftco's overboard shorts winner of the iCast best in category for technical clothing built with a 100 submersible pocket that keeps the unexpected dry docked for the other guy overboard keeps the good times rolling and your valuable safe for the next adventure overboard shorts from aftco Learn more at aftco.com slash overboard. Bass anglers have heard it all when it comes to manufacturers having the best casting reel. Well, Daiwa can back it up with the Tatula SV. The Tatula SV has three key features that make it the most versatile casting reel on the market today. The SV spool is a lightweight aluminum spool allowing for long control light lure casting. MAG4Z gives you the option to set a precise casting range no matter what lure or wind situation. The Daiwa T-Wing system reduces line angle and friction when casting. 
distance, control, and finesse like no other reel on the market. Tatula, the ultimate finesse long cast system designed by Daiwa. The St. Croix story has evolved over 70 years. With gritty determination, St. Croix built the most advanced fishing rod facility in the world. And with it, a world-class brand that has earned the respect and admiration of anglers around the planet. We will continue to challenge ourselves, our employees, and our partners to be the best every day. We're proud to celebrate 70 years of passion and commitment to making the best rods on earth. St. Croix. We Fish ASA is back. I'm Steve Sarley. My partner Dave Kranz is not here. He is remote. We are brought to you by the proud industry members of the American Sport Fishing Association. Check us out on social media. Check out Seth Fighter on social media. He has got quite the presence. He has got uh, an incredible army of fans out there that are just uh, rapidly supporting him. He is, after all, the godfather of the mullet mafia. Uh, quite a thing. He's, he's so, uh, the, with the mustache and, and the mullet, he's very recognizable. I don't see you shaving or getting a haircut very soon. We're not going to see that, are we, Seth? No, absolutely not. Um, well, after my wife's demise, demise uh, yeah, I'm probably going to have the mullet until we go mm, at least a couple of years without catching them. Can, <laughs> uh, it, it, it's great. I think I think it's super. You, you've definitely got a look, and, and it's a trademark. What is the uh, what is the deal with uh, uh, llama and you? Um, well, it's really not that good of a story. It's. Uh, Basically, uh, I was with Mark Zona, and we went to film a show on Lake Ontario. And, uh, of course, it blew 40 miles an hour pretty much the whole time we were there. So we sat in the hotel room for about three days. Um, had a few beers. He's kind of a goofball. I don't know why, but he started uh, yelling llama at me. And then I think right after that, we had a tournament on Champlain, and I got a big one. And yelled llama at the camera just kind of as an inside <laughs> joke when he was doing his commentary and it just stuck so here we are i wish i had a better story but that's the truth oh that's okay you know he's from chicago area anyway so we we know he's not connected all the way to the top so that's probably what it came from. It's, what, what, what are you going to do? Hey, uh, yeah. I, it's great. I, I enjoy it. I, I love the fans at the weigh in and the signs and, and all that stuff. It's just uh, it's just so cool the the backing that you have. Uh, I asked you about I asked you about sponsors and and you're free to talk about anybody you want. But I wanted to bring up number one, man. Oh man, Daiwa. What they've got number one through five, the top five anglers in in Bassmaster ranked one, two, three, four, five are all using Daiwa reels. That's like saying all the top five golfers use the same ball. Uh uh-uh, uh, not happening. Never gonna happen. It's always broken up. How the heck do the top five fishermen all use Daiwa reels? Or, or reels and rods. Pardon me. I don't know if it'll ever work out like that again, but it, it's pretty cool. We got an awesome pro staff. I mean, you know, I mean, it's a, I mean, look at the little name of guys on top five. They're all just absolute hammers, and um, it's pretty cool for her to see it like that. I, I mean, I know way back in the day, like oh, probably in the nineties, they had a pretty good run. They had a real good pro staff then too, with you know Denny Browers and the. Cochran's and all them, 
They had a real strong pro staff back then, too. You're too, you're too young to even remember those guys, for Pete's sake. No, that's a, that's what I grew up on, man. Denny, I mean, I, I, I was because of Denny Brower. I know he went and did some other stuff after that, but when I got into the fishing game, it was the you know the TDS with old green handle dial with flip yeah. stick, and like yeah, that's what got me into dialing. I've been a big fan of theirs ever since, and I, I just yeah, I went and bought old Denny's jigs, and you know, I just go trying to be Denny Brower, you know. I, lo- I lose focus, and, and I'm definitely going off script now. But when you mentioned you mentioned in these old timers, you, you grew up in Minnesota. Uh, when you were growing up, and you were uh, learning bass fishing, it was a southern sport. All the guys were from down south. We don't have the uh, the, the northern fishermen like we have. When when you grew up watching TV and uh, reading magazines and that, who, who did you idolize? Were there any northern fishermen that uh, struck your fancy that you that you wanted to be like? Uh, no, I, I was 100% Danny Brower fan. I think at the time, really, when, yeah, it was kind of about the time Kevin Van Dam was coming on the scene. Um, I mean, he was pretty much the only northern guy we had, but, you know, he was a, he was a winder. He was a cranker, spinnerbait fisherman, and, I've always been a flipper. He found it hard, and sure, I just wanted to be like Danny Brower my whole life. You ah. know, growing up, so I kind of cool emulated, emulated the way he fished, and I liked the style. And um, you know, he was my guy, and I was all pretty much southern guys. He was from Missouri, so he wasn't that far south. But yeah, um, yeah, when I grew up, I mean, it's it seemed almost impossible for a northern guy to make it. I mean, uh, just uh, everybody that was you know at the top of the game was all. Texas, Florida, Alabama, all that, with the exception of Kevin Van Dam. Yeah, but, yeah. Um, yeah, I think he definitely. It's certainly changing. It's certainly changing. We got a few Canadians that are really good. We got a couple guys out of Minnesota, a few guys out of Wisconsin now. Um, I, I, you know, a couple it, of guys. I mean, it's the Midwest really coming on strong the last, you know, five years or so. I was talking to your friend Chris Grove from Illinois, and, uh, uh, I asked him how he ended up uh, uh, traveling and hanging with the Johnsons and Jeff Gustafson and uh, and Seth Fighter, and he just said, "Hey, we just kind of mesh, get along, you know, talking." To and he says, "Hey, we got we got another guy that's kind of breaking into the group, uh, Matt Robertson," and that blew my mind. Uh, 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 you guys are uh, enjoying Matt Robertson's company. He is a unique individual. Uh, yeah, he's a good time. He's from Kentucky, but. Um, yeah, we let him in our little northern crew. It's funny teaching him how to smallmouth fish. It's pretty interesting, but he's a good dude, super funny, and uh, he's a criminal. smart guy, good fisherman, and, and he's smarter than he'd like you to think. I think he likes to yeah. have everybody underestimate him, and then he sneaks in and kicks you in the uh, in the butt uh, because cause you're not you're not expecting that, and uh, that is rather amazing. And I, I did notice on his shirt, he mentioned on his show a short while ago, uh, a sponsor, and it was uh, Tin Cup. And I believe you may have been doing something with them as well. Yeah, yeah, no Tin Cup came on board this year. It's been an awesome partnership. What is t- what is Tin Cup? What is what what is it? Sorry, say I want to try that tin. I want to try that Tin Cup lure. They got a they got a regular whiskey, a rye whiskey, and then a, a ten year. Um, special whiskey. I haven't even tried the tenure, but the rye's a really good mixing, and tin cups good if you like it on the, the regular whiskey. If you're just sort of on the rocks kind of guy, but 
Um, I usually mix mine, so I usually go with the rye. Uh, do whiskey cokes or whatever, pretty good. So ten ten cup whiskey. That's that's a good celebra- celebratory drink for winning a tournament or winning angler of the year. I assume. Yeah, no, I worked on both ends. If you have a really good day, you're drinking whiskey. If you have a really bad day, you're drinking whiskey. <laughs> oh man, oh man, you just it covers added, all your bases. Yeah, I was gonna ask that question, but I said you don't ever have any bad days. So what difference does that make to you? You know, maybe someday if you have a bad day, we can talk about that. Yeah, oh, I'm sure it's coming. This year was just something special. Like, no. No I mean, I, the very first day of the season, I had a bad day, and then the only other two bad days I had this year were during the Classic, which is really when you don't want to have a bad day at their Super Bowl, but in the grand scheme of things, as far as points go, that tournament doesn't count for any, so um, my bad days came at the, the right time this year. Hey, you know what? Uh, Angler of the Year comes with a six-figure check, and if I recall, there was a point where – Angler of the Year came with a pat on the back. Uh, so I think you're in great shape right now, and they've got this thing working right by, by doing that. And I remember when I used to have that uh, one tournament they call Angler of the Year. You could win the tournament, and you won the Angler of the Year tournament, but you did not win Angler of the Year. They've straightened this all out. They're paying you right, and, and the verbiage is correct. And, uh, I, you know, there's no question about when you win Angler of the Year what a big deal it is. Am, am I right saying that? Oh, yeah, absolutely. All they got right. it all figured out. Hey, yeah, that's look, a great honor. Look, looking on your list of sponsors, uh, TH Marine. Uh, are, yep. you, are you running a Hydro Wave? Uh, yep, Hydro Wave, Atlas Jackplay. I mean, there's so uh, much stuff. I, I got to ask you. Marine, it's, it's almost easy to lift it all. I mean, every little screw and bolt and light and hot foot and uh, a lot of the wiring stuff. There's so much stuff that TH makes that goes into your boat. It's it's hard to really think about it all. I, I had Van Dam on recently, and and the interview got away from me because uh, he 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 won a uh, he won a ledge fishing tournament uh, that he had in print said it was because he turned his hydrowave on, and and I find hydrowave to be the mis most misunderstood thing in the world of fishing. Uh, so many guys are using it. And so many people watching the tournaments because you can't see it. Uh, you can't see what it does. Uh, nobody's really talking about it, but man, this is helping out big time. What is HydroWave? When do you use it? What does it do? Yeah. Um, it's basically an underwater speaker that plays fish noises, like sounds of fish schooling, bait fish schooling, um, fish feeding. Um, it's got all kinds of noises on there. I mean, crawdads, bluegill, shad, herring, all recorded underwater and then comes out through that speaker. It's really cool. Um, the thing I've noticed where it works the best really is, uh, um, smallmouth fishing, especially if you're fishing like really rocky bottom, it's hard to see those fish on your graph. They get those nooks and crannies and crevices and you look on your graph and you don't see anything there. But when you play that on, it, it, uh, it literally makes those fish come up off the bottom a little bit. Not, I mean, when I first got it, I'd see some crazy stuff. You know, fish swim all the way up to my trolling motor. But I think it's um, like anything, they've heard it enough where it doesn't quite have that effect on them anymore. anymore but still, just to get them to come up off the bottom a foot or two, where you can see them on your electronics now and then put a bait on them and catch them, uh, it makes a world of difference versus, you know, not having it and those fish just staying wedged down those rocks and you're not being able to see them and think there's nothing there you know 
you can go over there and literally watch those fish swim up off the bottom a little bit. They're just smallmouths are super curious, spotted bass for the same way too. Um, they'll definitely bring them into your boat and get them under your boat and get them somewhere you can see them and then know they're there and then catch them. Interesting. I, I've got to learn more about this. I've never been in a boat that was running one, but I definitely want to see that. It sounds so interesting. And I think you said about uh, smallmouth being curious. Uh, how often are you reeling in a smallmouth and you see smallmouth swimming in behind it? Well, it ha happens quite a bit. They're definitely probably the most curious fish we fish for. Yeah, how, how often um, do you see? How often do you see largemouth following a largemouth that's hooked? Never? Pretty rare. Yeah, Pretty never. Rare. You will see it a little bit. Um, you know, every once in a while, you'll catch a double on, like, a crankbait or something like that. But, uh, you know, 99 times out of 100, if you're reeling a fish in and you see one following it, it's smallmouth and smallmouth versus a large mouse doing it. Is there anything more frustrating than reeling in a, a two-and-a-half-pounder and watching a four-pounder swimming in behind it? Oh, man. Every, every time. Oh, that's got to drive you absolutely. Maybe once or twice you you do actually catch the big one and have a little one follow it, but almost every time it's a little one hooked on your line and a great big one following it. But, it's it's um, it's like musky fishing, which I'm assuming you may have done at least maybe accidentally in Minnesota. But what a frustrating thing to see fish swimming and not being able to do anything with it. Oh man, yeah. that is absolutely yeah. incredible. Well, you know what? I got a couple of your sponsors in. We'll talk about it next time, man. You were one of the first interviews we did uh, six years ago. Yeah, we're just enter we're entering our sixth year. We're, we're a month into the sixth year. Uh, one of the first ones, and you have gotten better every year. And I'll tell you something. And I've told people this. And I've told your sponsors. I said your interview skills have gotten remarkable from when you started to now. And uh, you're winning a lot of money, and you're doing a great job publicly and in the media. You got a great fan base, and five years from now, I can't imagine what you're going to be like. Only thing different is going to be how much money you've made. And I got a funny feeling that uh, you're going to have a uh, Bassmaster Classic or two under your belt. You're, you're my odds-on favorite for next year, man. I wish you nothing but the best. I appreciate it. Thank you very much. No problem. Hey, Seth Fighter, Angler of the Year 2021, Bassmaster Elites. We look forward to talking to you again. Best of luck to you. Say hello to the family. I'll be healthy. Will do. Thanks, bud. We'll see you. Seth Fighter, thank you. That wraps up this week's edition of the We Fish ASA podcast, the best darn fishing show on the radio or the internet in the entire USA. I'd like to thank today's guests, Dan Johnston from St. Croix, Kevin Brandon from Rio Guppy Outdoors, and the Angler of the Year in the Bassmaster Elite Circuit, the one and only Seth Fighter. I'd like to thank our sponsor, St. Croix, the best rods on earth, Calcutta, makers of a lot of products that fit your fishing lifestyle and passion, Daiwa. Take a look at that lineup. They've got it all, top to bottom, whatever you need in reels. Don't pass up the opportunity to put a Daiwa reel on your rod. You'll thank us for it later. Remember, We Fish ASA presents a new episode of our one-hour podcast each and every week. It's available everywhere you get your podcasts. Don't forget, check out our website, wefishasa.com. That's where you can write to us, and if you like what you hear, please let us know if there's something you'd like to hear us talk about. If there's somebody you think we ought to have on the show, please let us know that, too. I'm Steve Sarley. My partner is Dave Kranz. We'll see you next week now. Let's go fishing!